0: Solomon continues with his opening statement about the power of wisdom. He says, let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning in these proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge But fools despise wisdom and discipline. The fear of the Lord is an old idea that is usually very much misunderstood today. The fear of the Lord means that we have a personal bias and passion to submit to the Lord's will above all else. Can you say that about yourself? It is impossible to be wise if you don't care about doing God's will. The fool is the one who gives lip service to God, but is intent on pursuing his own will. Let us pray that the Lord will give us the grace to be wise through fearing God. Remember, fools despise wisdom and discipline.
1: Well, I certainly hope that uh, you are not a fool. And in case you are wondering what a fool is, when we talk about being a fool, it's not talking about a person's low IQ or a person's lack of education uh, or lack of knowledge. It's talking about a moral condition. Now, we're going to see in just a few minutes uh, how we gain that kind of wisdom. But first of all, let me just uh, say this. When we talk about the fear of God, it's something that is virtually uh, unknown today. Nobody really knows what that means. People have vague ideas about what the fear of God is, uh, suggesting that we just need to be afraid of this great big mean God with a club waiting to let us have it. Well, it's it's far more uh, complicated than that. And we're going to talk about that this morning. But let me just say this, I, I Googled fear of God, and the very first thing that popped up was this website that sells uh, merchandise. It's a clothing brand of all things, the fear of God. And so I, 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 I went back and tried it again to see whether i had made a mistake. Did I not put the right information in? And this is literally the first thing that, that comes up in the list of things that, that Google displays for fear of God. And if you go into the site, you'll see they've got $250 plastic slippers that you can buy, a $1800 car coat, whatever that is, I don't know, and sunglasses and of course all kinds of clothes, athletic wear, et cetera, et cetera. No one seems to know today what the fear of God is. And what is really shocking, is that so many pastors don't really know what the fear of God is. I've heard pastors actually preach the opposite, that, that God is not an angry God, or that you don't need to fear God, that he is a warm, cuddly Father that just invites us to crawl, cuddle up with him and crawl up on our lap, and he'll just hug us and kiss us, and that's the end of that. Anybody who has that kind of a twisted or distorted view of God actually needs to read the Bible. Read the book of Revelation, if you will, and you'll see who God is. God is, is far greater than you and I can even imagine. So, the question is, why is it then that pastors don't understand who God is? And why is it that the average person who calls himself or herself a Christian doesn't know what the fear of God is? And the the simple answer to that is because people don't know who God is. This is why people have come to these very wrong understandings of who God is. R.C. Sproul, probably uh, one of the greatest uh, scholars and uh, theologians of the last century, and Pastor John MacArthur, some of you will know him, were asked the question, what is the greatest problem facing the church in North America today. R.C. Sproul says, 40 years ago, somebody asked me what I thought was the biggest problem in the church today. And I said, I think that the biggest problem in the church today is that we don't know who God is. And that flows over into every other dimension of life and certainly into every other doctrine. In order to properly live the Christian life. What you and I need to do is we need to find out who God is. We need to understand what the fear of God is all about. John MacArthur said there is an inadequate understanding of the nature of God and an inadequate understanding of the nature of Christ and of the Holy Spirit. You'll notice that John MacArthur is is referencing the trinitarian view of God and how God is involved in every aspect, the triune God is involved in every aspect of the Christian's life. Once you begin to see this truth with precision, folks, I'm going to tell you, it becomes the most precious thing in your life. The problem, though, is that Christianity in North America has been so watered down and has become so man-centered rather than God-centered that we really have a very vapid, very vanilla, plain, empty kind of Christianity. I wonder what kind of a Christianity you have. I'm going to tell you the moment that you understand who God is and the moment you understand your relationship to God, that becomes a game changer in how you live your Christian life and how you understand God. And by the way, even in, it even affects how you pray, If you don't understand the might and the power of God, and if you don't understand his will and what he wants, then how on earth could you ever properly pray? So it's critical then that we understand who God is. Let me give you an example of a church that does not understand who God is. Some of you will have heard, uh, and I rarely mention churches by name or people by name, but I have to, I need to warn you. Bethel Church in Redding, California, their worship leader, uh, Jen Johnson, she is, on numbers of occasions, she has taught, done teaching uh, about the Holy Spirit. And this is what she says, and I'm quoting her. She says, the Holy Spirit to me is like the genie from Aladdin. And he's blue, and she lifts up her leg, her her barefoot and points to her jeans which are, which are blue and everybody everybody claps and, and and hoots and hollers and how wonderful it is that she's dressed like like the Holy Spirit. She says, the Holy Spirit is unplanned, he's perfect, and he's funny, and he's sneaky. That's right, sneaky, and he's courageous, and he's everywhere, and he's silly. She's describing the Holy Spirit, people. I don't know where in my life that came from. I just kind of like came up with this. Maybe when I was like 10, I don't know. Because he's there, you know, and he's the helper, and he's just always supportive and comforting, and he's just fun. Now, if you reacted as I reacted when I heard that, if you reacted with with shock and then with despair and with uh with an utterance of how foolish is this, then then that would make me happy. It would make me realize that you have a far greater understanding and a greater reverence for God than Jen Johnson, the worship leader at Bethel Church has. But I wonder, did it sound like utter foolishness to you? It did to me. Anybody who reads the scripture knows that the Holy Spirit is never silly, is never sneaky, The Holy Spirit is never fun. That is not who the Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is never unplanned. The Spirit of God is a member of the triune God. And I'm hoping that at the end, I can read to you a passage from Revelation that will help you understand the greatness and the majesty of our God, the one who is worthy of our praise, the one in front of whom... Everybody must bow down and worship because of his greatness and his majesty. So listen to what Solomon says. I'm reading Proverbs chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 5, 6, and 7. And Solomon says, "'Let the wise listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser. "'Let those with understanding receive guidance. "'By exploring the meaning in these Proverbs and parables,' the words of the wise and their riddles. Fear of the Lord, or fear of God, is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. What we have in the book of Solomon is a collection of Solomon's Proverbs, but not just of his Proverbs. Solomon spent his whole life gathering together proverbs and wisdom from around the world. And if you look at the proverbs, you'll see that there are some some proverbs from Egypt, for instance, and from different parts of the world. In case you don't remember it, Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines and so there were there were a number of wives and concubines that were from other nations and and uh, undoubtedly he would have appealed to these women to find out what what words of wisdom that they would be able to offer to his collection of the proverbs now he did write many of the proverbs but not all of them what Solomon wants to do is he wants to apply wisdom to to God, he wants he wants to bring all wisdom under the lordship of of God, the God of the universe. He wants us to see that that true wisdom actually comes from God. In fact, wisdom is God. The Proverbs teach us godly values. They teach us moral behavior. They they give it good common sense on how to live life. Um, It teaches us right conduct, and it teaches us the meaning of human life. This is is what the Proverbs are really all about. But even more than that, Solomon points out to us in verse seven that the foundation, the theological foundation for all wisdom is the fear of God. Without the fear of God, these, these words of the Proverbs are just empty sayings are riddles. Solomon wants us to be clear that the beginning of all wisdom is, in fact, the fear of the Lord. That's the foundation of true knowledge and wisdom. Now, because wisdom is so important, this is what Solomon says. Wisdom is is key. It's, it's, It's the pearl of great price. When God asked Solomon, Solomon, what do you want? I'll give you whatever you ask for. Solomon at that point had the wisdom to ask God for more wisdom. He didn't ask for wealth. He did not ask for fame. What he asked for was wisdom. So Solomon is saying this, let the wise listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser. That's exactly what Solomon did. Solomon, the son of King David, he would have been he would have received from his father David a a true measure of wisdom. But as far as Solomon's concerned, that wasn't enough. Isn't that a wonderful attitude to have? I wonder if that's your attitude. You may consider yourself wise, but if you are truly wise, then you will listen to the words of Solomon, Solomon who said, you need to become even wiser. Let those with understanding, Solomon says, receive guidance by exploring the meaning in these proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. I want you to look at that word understanding here. That word understanding means to separate mentally. It doesn't mean to fall apart, but it means that you have this, this ability in your thinking to discern, to distinguish, to be able to rightly divide an issue and understand what it means and how to deal with it. It really implies that you have these special powers of discernment. I'm gonna tell you, if you've applied your heart to wisdom, then God will give you discernment. This is something that I told you last week. I've been praying for wisdom ever since I was a young boy. This is a daily prayer of mine. And I, I, I plead with God, God, I need wisdom. And especially in these days, I need God's wisdom more than ever to lead God's church in days that are so dark and perilous. But the fact of the matter is we all need God's wisdom. And if you're a Christian today, then you need God's wisdom to know how to live the Christian life in in a world that has become increasingly hostile to the gospel and increasingly hostile to God, especially to Christians. So so, So Solomon is telling us here that we need to increase our wisdom by applying ourselves to learning and receiving guidance. Now I want you also to see the the word riddles here. Um, we're we're not talking about you know taking time off here now to to have a fun time to 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 have a, a riddles game where we can see who can figure out what the other one's talking about. When he talks about riddles here. He's talking about conundrums. He's talking about about tricky situations. He's talking about about things that when you look at it you don't know how to deal with it. You don't know how to how to how to solve the problem. Let me give you, an, an, a, for instance, in 1 Kings 3, verses 16 to 18, two women came to Solomon, and, and these mothers who happened to be living in the same place both had an infant son. Unfortunately, one of the babies was smothered and each claimed that the live boy was her own. Now, I want you to see what Solomon does here. Talk about knowing how to solve riddles. Talk about having an ability to to be able to see through a situation and come up with a solution. Solomon calls for a sword, and Solomon declares his judgment. The baby would be cut in two, and each woman would receive half half the baby. Half for you, half for you. Now, one mother did not contest the ruling. She declared that if she could not have the whole baby, then neither would the other woman have a whole baby, so a half would be just fine with her. The other woman, on the other hand, begged Solomon, give the baby to her, just don't kill the baby. The king declared that the second woman was in fact a true mother, as only a true mother would give up her baby so as to save the baby's life. This judgment became a legend, became legendary, I should say, legendary in all of Israel. And Solomon became known for his uncommon wisdom. In fact, people came from all over to discover more about this great and wise King Solomon. We're told that Sheba, uh, Some people think that Sheba's ain't is what is today uh, Yemen. The Queen of Sheba came to Solomon to spend time in his presence to learn something of his wisdom. I wonder today if you are enjoying the kind of wisdom and wisdom that Solomon had. I can tell you that it certainly is God's pleasure and good good purpose to equip all of His people with the wisdom of Solomon. Absolutely. And folks, again, this is why we're doing this series this summer. We want to understand more about the wisdom of God, the wisdom that gives us the ability to discern, to, as I said, to separate mentally, to distinguish good from evil, wise from foolish. God wants us to live wisely in this world, because as we're told time and again in the New Testament, we are living in evil days. So we need discernment, we need guidance, and we need the ability to solve riddles and problems. But the question is, how do we get this kind of wisdom and discernment? How do we get that? Well, Solomon gives us the answer to that question. He says, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So Solomon is saying, if, if you want to be wise, then it's going to have to start with your relationship with God. And by the way, that's something that we teach here at Cross church all the time. We teach habit number one, which is what? A daily walk with God, where you are spending time with God every day in prayer and in the word, and you're allowing God to speak to you by his spirit, where you are equipped by the spirit and equipped with the word of God to deal with the hardships and the difficulties of life. When I was a youth pastor, if young people came to me and said, pastor, I'm... I've got this difficult situation. I don't know what to do. I mean, this was common. I mean, Not a day would go by when I wasn't getting a phone call or a visit uh, asking for some kind of advice. And so what I started to do, because I did not want these young people to be in love with me. I wanted them to be in love with Jesus. I said, do your devotions first. And after you've done your devotions, come talk to me about it. If God doesn't show it to you, then I'll help you hear the voice of the Lord. And so that's what they started to do. And my counseling was virtually, uh, well, almost virtually eliminated. Why? Because these young people had learned what it meant to turn to God. They began to know who God is. They began to fear the Lord. So let's ask ourselves a question. What does it mean to fear the Lord? You'll remember last week that after God promised to give Solomon whatever he asked for, Uh, Solomon asked for wisdom to govern God's people. Remember that? God says to Solomon, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime, you will have no equal among kings. And this is, by the way, why Queen Sheba came to see Solomon. She wanted to see this great king that had no equal among kings. And I'm going to be talking more about Queen Sheba next week. But I want you to see what it says in 1 Kings 3. 14. God says to Solomon and if you see here that here's a, the great qualifier here if if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. In other words, you will success you will be successful uh, in everything that you do. you will prosper in all your ways but it comes from obedience to God. And folks, this really is what the fear of God is all about. It's a a complete and utter obedience to God. You submit to the will of God. This is why Jesus teaches us in his great prayer, the Lord's Prayer. He teaches us to pray, thy will be done on earth, As it is in heaven. This is something we should be praying every day. Because the man or the woman who is seeking to do the will of God is the one who fears the Lord. Now, a lot of people have strange ideas about what the fear of the Lord is. As though God was some kind of an angry God with a stick in his hand ready to beat the tar out of us. Well, as I'm going to share with you in just a few moments, yes, God does appear to us as an angry God, and he, he is angry, but understand this, that those who put their faith in Jesus Christ don't have to be afraid of God, but they need to fear him. They need to reverence him. God says, Solomon, if you'll obey my commands, if you'll be careful to keep my decrees and commands, then you will have a successful life. You will learn to be disciplined in how you behave and how you act. So Solomon understands this. He understands that the key to a disciplined and successful life is to keep God at the very center, to keep God's will at the center of his life. It's obedience. Now, this is exactly what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember that? Last summer, we, were, we began the Sermon on the Mount, and we, we looked at that great, great verse, one of my favorites, I would call it my life verse, where Jesus teaches, seek the kingdom of God first, and that means above all else, and live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. This is exactly what God said to Solomon, isn't it? Because you've asked for wisdom, because you want to to do my will, I'm gonna take care of the rest. You don't have to worry about your fame and fortune. I'll give you exactly what you need. Just make sure that you get your priorities straight. And this is a message for us today because I'm gonna tell you, Canada is a dangerous place to live. North America, the West is a dangerous place to live because it's so easy to be distracted by the things of this world, the trappings of this world. It's easy to be distracted by the things that this world says is important. The flashy car, beautiful clothes, jewelry, fame if you can get it, but certainly fortune, nice house, and on and on it goes. God says this should never be your priority. And certainly that was the priority of of every king and any king. Look at the royal family of Britain, their, their net worth. If you add up all the castles, we're talking about multiple, multiple, multiply billions of dollars worth of treasure. And yet they, they don't even have the wisdom to keep the family together. I'm not judging them, but I'm telling you this, that, that having an IQ and having a, a large fortune is no promise for a happy life. Jesus is clear to us that happiness in this life comes from putting God first, from seeking to obey him, and from knowing him above all else. You want to have a great marriage? You want to have a great family? You want to be successful in your business? Get your eyes off of people. Get your eyes on God and allow God to direct you and lead you by his spirit and by the word of the Lord. That's what Solomon said, that's what Solomon learned from God, and that's what Jesus teaches us in the New Testament. He's teaching us to surrender to God and to his will. Jesus is talking about God's people as as a people who are the kingdom of God, which means he's the king, and we are his royal subjects. Who ever heard of royal subjects telling the king, "I don't want to do what you have to. I don't want to do what you want me to do. I'm going to do whatever I want to do." Well, it's absurd, isn't it? We all know that that doesn't end well. No, a royal subject does exactly what his or her sovereign tells him or her to do, and so it is with us. Now, it's no accident that when you read through Proverbs, you're going to find that that God is mentioned at least 90 times. But we're not talking about just any old God. It's not God with a small g. It's it's not some sort of generic God, a God that could be the God of the Egyptians or the God of of the Amorites or the Hittites. We're talking about the God of Israel. It's Yahweh who is mentioned here 90 times, about 90 times in Proverbs. And incidentally, did you know that the book of, neither the book of Esther nor the Book of the Song of Songs even mentions God even once. There's no mention of God. But here in Proverbs, where Solomon wants us to understand what wisdom is, he puts God at the very center of this wisdom. Wisdom without God is is just mere words. And by the way, it's for that reason that you need to understand that it's the wisdom from the word of God that you need, not the wisdom of this world, So Solomon without God is is just mere words. And by the way, it's for that reason that you need to understand that it's the wisdom from the word of God that you need, not the wisdom of this world. So Solomon is clear about this. This wisdom must come from God. So it's not just a general reference to any old God. It's specifically Yahweh, Jehovah, the God of Israel. So let's go back to that that verse. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Again, when we talk about fools, we're not talking about people with a low IQ or people that are uneducated or have no knowledge or can't speak well. It's a spiritual condition. It means someone who's morally impoverished Somebody who despises wisdom and despises discipline, and, and by virtue of that fact, also despises God. Solomon's father, David, wrote twice in the Psalms, Psalm 14, verse 1, the fool says in his heart, There is no God. You and I need to understand that there is a God, and secondly, that God requires us to obey him. Remember that the, that the beginning of sin began the day that Adam and Eve decided they were not going to obey God. They were not gonna do what God has to say, and that has consequently brought all manner of evil and wickedness and suffering and sorrow to our hearts. One of the, one of the first uh, big books that I read was a book by Aldous Huxley called *The Brave New World. Uh, very, very similar to 1984, a book that uh, I, I could recommend that would help you understand what's happening in our world today. But in another book of his called Ends and Means, this is what he said: This is Aldous Huxley is not a Christian, a man who was very anti-Christian, very vocal about his atheism, along with all of his friends. He says this: He says the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation from the Christian system of morality. So Aldous Huxley, along with so many others, and we're still hearing that voice today, talking about the fact that this life is meaningless. And by the way, Solomon addresses that very point in the book of Ecclesiastes, which we'll look at one of these days. And he he tells us the reason why he and his friends would hold to this philosophy of meaningless. He says, we objected to the morality of the Christian system because it interfered with our sexual freedom. He says, there was one admirably simple method of confuting these people and justifying ourselves in our erotic revolt. And he says, what we would do is we would simply deny that the world had any meaning whatever. Aldous Huxley, one of the great minds, along with so many of his friends, the elite, if you would, the intellectual elite, he made it very clear that in disputing with Christians this this Christian system of morality, in disputing this, that then he would be able with a clear conscience be free to do whatever he wanted to do sexually. Well, that's the world. And that's exactly what Paul tells us at the beginning of the book of Romans. You can read about that yourself. The fact of the matter is, is people simply don't know who God is. And if you ask the average person on the street, who is God? I can pretty much guarantee you they'll say uh, something like this. Well, God is love and and God is the one who created the universe and that's probably about all that they can say about God they if they've been to Sunday school they might be able to tell you that that God is is the father of Jesus and and, and that's about it but let me tell you what you need to know about who God is God first of all is a God who disciplines his children most people don't know that and if you have read the Scriptures, both in the old and the new, you will discover that, that God disciplines his children and that his idea of love is not the same as the average human. His idea of love is to teach us and to discipline us and to do what? To sanctify us, that is to make us like Jesus, to make us holy as he is holy. A lot of Christians don't know that. They don't understand that. The minute that things don't go their way, what's the first thing they do? They're shaking their fists at God. They're crying, stamping their feet. And they're saying, God, I thought you loved me. What kind of a God will not do what I ask him to do? My children have, over the years asked me to do do a lot of things which I refuse to do. Why? Because I'm their father. And my job is to give them not what they want, but what they need. That's exactly who our heavenly father is. And if you understand that, we call that the fear of the Lord, understanding that God has the right to tell us what to do. And more than that, that because God is love, he will in fact teach us. Now the Christian who truly knows who God is will live his life in fear and trembling. Now this again goes against what you're gonna hear from the average church nowadays, fear and trembling. What kind of a Christian lives in fear and trembling? Well, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul told the Philippians in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. And Paul, Paul doesn't just say that once. He's, we see this theme throughout all of Paul's writings. We see it in, for instance, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 10 to 11. Listen to these words. Paul says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil therefore therefore knowing that we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ therefore knowing the fear of the Lord we persuade others This is why Paul is preaching. He's preaching, not only because he's got the call of God on his life, but because of the fear of the Lord. He says, for this reason we preach, for this reason we persuade others. But but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience, Paul says. Now this is not a Christianity that you're gonna hear too much about, and yet this is the scripture. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. When you fear God, when you know who God is, and you know what God's will is, then you start being wise in your decision-making. Now suddenly, you are gathering the knowledge of the Word of God to guide you in your decisions and how you live your life. And more than that, thanks be to God, we have the spirit of the living God who dwells in us and who checks us in our spirit when we are doing that which is not pleasing to God. But wait, there's more. What most people don't know is that God disciplines his children, that Christians must live their life in fear and trembling before God in respect of who he is, and thirdly, that God is also a God of wrath, of anger. A church in Orlando, Florida had a massive billboard erected in front of the church that said, God is not angry. Imagine that. God is not angry. when the Bible clearly tells us that God is angry. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppresses the truth. God is angry. Now, imagine us putting that sign in front of our church. God is angry with the wicked every day. But the fact is, folks, we don't know that about God. If God is not angry with sinners and with sin, what is the point of preaching the gospel? What's the point of preaching the good news about a savior who came to seek and to save what was lost? God sent a savior because we are perishing. And until you have surrendered your life to Christ, until you have repented of your sin, you are facing a Christless eternity in eternal Hell. That, my friends, is the word of God. I wish I didn't have to say it like that, but that is the truth, and that's the truth that sets us free. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. Any church that does not preach what I'm preaching right now is not a church built on a foundation of true knowledge. It's it's a church built on a foundation of wishful thinking, of fantasy, You and I must learn what it means to know who God is and to fear him and to do his will because that's what it means to please the Lord. So what are we saved from? Of course, we're saved from the wrath that is to come from God. And thanks be to God that he has delivered us. Those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, we have been delivered of hell. We've been delivered of eternal damnation. Still not convinced of who God is? Hebrews 10 verses 30 to 31 warns us, for we know God who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You and I are called to to repentance. We're called to to fear the Lord. I'm going to tell you the fear of God is what drives us to Jesus Christ. It's what drives us to repent and to answer his call to to receive forgiveness of our sins and to to receive eternal life. Without a doubt, that's why I became a Christian. I, I was not sure of the eternal state of my soul, although I wouldn't have been able to to articulate it like I am now. I know that I became a Christian because I wanted to, and I needed to get my life right with God. Thanks be to God, his spirit worked on me and brought me to life, hallelujah. But becoming a Christian is not the end of the story, and you and I need to understand that. What you and I need to understand is we, we come to God, we surrender to God because we are, we fear a wrathful God. But once that happens, we must then learn what it means to continue to surrender to God and to continue to fear the Lord and to continue to seek to do his will as Jesus taught us to do. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the wonderful thing is that all these things will be added unto us. After you repent of your sin, you must live your life in the fear of God, in daily repentance, in complete surrender and obedience to God. What does it mean to repent? It means rather than walking away from God, you're walking toward God. How do you know that you're converted? Well, it's not that you become perfect. It's not about your perfection. Rather, it's about your direction. You, before you were converted, you were going in the wrong way. But once you're converted, you start walking towards God because you fear him, and you want to know his power at work in your life. Let me just close with these words from the Revelation. Revelation chapter 4, verses 8 to 11, because I want you to get a feeling for who your great God is. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out. Day after day and night after night, they keep on saying, holy, holy, holy is the lord god the almighty the one who always was who is and who is still to come and whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne the one who lives forever and ever the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne the one who lives forever and ever And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. We have been created, my friends, for God's pleasure. And if you understand that you've been created for God's pleasure, then you will have no problem with what Solomon is saying in these in this verse. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but it's fools. It's the morally, morally bankrupt who despise wisdom and discipline. Let us pray. Father, thank you today for your word. Thank you, O God, for just a small glimpse of your greatness, your majesty, and your power. We thank you, O God, that even now you are at work in our hearts. We thank you, O God, that you are revealing yourself to us. O God, we pray that we would learn what it is to submit to the great and mighty one, our God, that we would learn to fear the Lord and that we may, in doing this, gain wisdom and true knowledge a knowledge that will sustain us, especially, O oh God, in these dark days. Oh God, as parents, we need to have this wisdom that we may be able to raise our children to honor and to please you. Father, we commit ourselves to you now in the name of Jesus, asking for grace to know you and obey you. For that is the fear of the Lord, and that is where our wisdom comes from. And we pray that in Jesus' name.